Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. This morning, uh, I want to welcome you to Apostles. If I've not met you, my name is David. I'm the lead pastor here on behalf of our church family. I want to say welcome. Uh, if you are uh, second grade and under, you can join this great-looking group that's headed right through the door right there, second grade and under. Go right through there, and you'll have some time talking about Jesus, and then you'll come back and join us for communion in just a little bit. Uh, and then if we have any uh, children who are fifth grade, um, I'm sorry, third grade and up, third grade and up, we have uh, some packets up here. Maybe Mr. Heiser could help pass those out. Um, just a little what we call a sermon scavenger hunt that kind of help you as we talk this morning about the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, I want to invite everybody to grab a Bible and open it up to chapter six of Matthew. Those passage, that passage we just read, those words of Jesus, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. And I wonder uh, this morning, as you hear the word treasure, what comes to mind? We've sung about treasure. uh, We've read about treasure. When you hear the word treasure, what comes into your imagination? I have to be honest, when I thought about treasure this week, the first thing that popped into my head was pirates. I just can't help it. Uh, I'm a child of the 80s, and uh, if you are like me or if you're an 80s fan, you know the movie Goonies. Uh, It shaped you. It shaped you. That movie, uh, it's a cult classic. I love it. If you're not familiar with it, it's the story of a group of, a ki- a group of kids living on the Oregon coast, and to save their house from uh, being torn down by developers, they stumble on this treasure map in the attic, and then they set off on this quest, and the whole movie's about the quest to find the treasure, the long-lost treasure of One-Eyed Willie, this famous pirate, right? And so they set off on the treasure hunt, and, uh, and they find it, and they save the day. That's what happens in the end. Uh, sorry to ruin it for you. Um, but, you know, e- even as a kid watching that movie, uh, and I still, I still love to watch it. I love that movie. Uh, and I, I got the message, right? There was a message there, right? Find the treasure, save the day, right? Find the treasure, save the day. And I, I think there's something at a deep level that that connects with for all of us. Uh, this idea of treasure hunts or, or maybe taking it in a different direction of, of winning the lottery, right? Or uh, finding uh, that, that long lost promotion, you know, that you've been desperate to find, to get to, to achieve, um, closing the next big deal. All these kinds of things tap into something deep within us, I think. Uh, a heart longing, ultimately, not just to find treasure or wealth, but I think to find security, a deep longing within our hearts to find security. And that longing in a broken and fallen world, uh, what happens is it reveals our proneness to find security in possessions and wealth. So that's kind of how we get there. <clears throat> we may not be tempted to go on a treasure hunt, uh, but we are often tempted to think, if I just had a little bit more, 
If I just had a little bit more, I would feel more secure. I'd feel safer. Some of you may be familiar with a famous quote by John D. Rockefeller, the tycoon who was once asked, how much money is enough? And he famously replied, just a little bit more. (laughs) Always just a little bit more. What's amazing about that is at the time he said that, he owned 90% of the oil and gas market, which equated to 1% of the overall economy of the United States. By one man, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. So whether you're a multimillionaire here today or you're living paycheck to paycheck, the reality is we can all be tempted by this idea of if I just had a little bit more, then I'd feel secure, then I'd be okay, then maybe I'd feel happy. So Jesus, he knows us, he made us, he knows our hearts and the proneness of our hearts to wander in this direction. And so he sees how money and possessions can easily be a trap for us because of this longing that we're created for, this longing uh, for security. And because he loves us, he wants us to be free uh, of that trap. He wants to avoid giving ourselves to money and possessions in that way, giving our heart to it that way. And so he wants us to wrestle with this question, I think, this morning. So I want to present you this simple question. What is the source of your security? What is the source of your security? Is it your possessions? Is it your address? Is it the name brand clothes? Is it your car? Whatever it might be, your income, your savings, what what are you tempted to find your security in? Another way to think about this is, has your net worth in some way become the measure of your self-worth? Where is that point for you? What is the source of your security? We may think that there's actually a whole lot of options, a whole lot of ways to answer that question. Interestingly, Jesus says there's only two. There's only two ways to answer that question. Here in Matthew, Jesus says there's two choices. You will find security uh, in earthly treasure or in heavenly treasure. You will find security in money and possessions and the material things of this world or in God. Those are the only two options. And what Jesus makes clear here in Matthew chapter six is we cannot ride the fence. You cannot ride the fence. And so to help us become more self-aware of this choice that we face, and not just a one-time choice, but I think a daily moment-by-moment choice, To become self-aware of this choice, Jesus gives us three simple but powerful teachings here in Matthew 6, 19 through 24. So I want us to just look at each one in turn. And I think it's a gift. Matthew's given us a gift. He's collected them here. It's worth noting that in in Luke's gospel, these appear in different uh, uh, episodes. But here, Matthew's put them together, I think, so we can see how they're related, how they're connected, how they're all moving our hearts in the same direction. So we want to look at each one in turn. So let's look at the first one, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So just a, a few 
observations. Notice, for example, that Jesus here is not condemning money or possessions as such. He's not against money. He's not saying money is bad, so watch out for money. Jesus is not condemning earthly treasure. And so I think that's important because that's, that's something that we need to understand, that to make money, for example, to have things, Jesus is not against that. He's not against savings or nice vacations or buying nice things. He's not against that. Jesus is not a killjoy wanting everyone to walk around in sackcloth and sandals, right? That's not the call of this passage. I think it's important, too, just to, to say this, kind of because of the cultural moment we find ourselves in. In recent years, it's become increasingly popular to see all wealth as illegitimate wealth. All wealth is ill-gotten, and therefore affluence is inherently immoral or even evil. And it's hard to say, I always find this really interesting, it's hard to say where's the cutoff? <laughs> who's on the immoral side of that and who's on the moral side of that? And so what it does is it kind of it divides us, and it sets us up, I think, to either feel morally superior based on comparing ourselves or to carry guilt about our wealth or our affluence or our lack of. And I just want to say that's not Jesus' aim here. That's not what he's interested in. Jesus' concern here is with the heart. It's with the heart. And I just want to warn us that evaluating someone's heart on the basis of their economic status is dangerous business. It is fraught with error and self-righteousness. So we need to be cautious. Those in poverty can be just as enslaved to materialism as the wealthy. And the wealthy can be just as uh, God-honoring and generous as the poor. Again, that's not what Jesus is aiming for. That's not what he is saying. So what is he saying? What's he after? It's interesting that Jesus uh, says uh, what he says this way. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Lay up treasures in heaven. So this phrase kind of caught my attention, lay up. Your, your translation may say store up for yourselves. Um, what's, what's happening here is, is there's almost a, a, a scarcity mentality being identified, right? It's a, it's a kind of hoarding of things. I'm, I'm laying up. I'm gathering to myself. I'm collecting really out of a place, I think, of ultimately a fear and insecurity. And it's a kind of hoarding things that Jesus warns against. It's accumulation unto one's self. So for Jesus, what's happening here is this hoarding, this storing up, this laying up of things, it's actually revealing a disordered heart. Uh, as the Apostle Paul points out in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it's not money, but it's the relationship that we have of money. He says it's the love of money that's the problem. That's the root of all kinds of evil. Why? Because it disorders our heart. It crowds out our love for the Lord, and it puts our trust in money rather than in Jesus. And so when Jesus says this, he's saying, don't lay up, don't put your trust in, don't find your security in these earthly things. Rather, find it in heavenly things. Find it in the Lord. Find it in me. Jesus prohibits what Nikki Gumbel calls egocentric covetousness, which is an unhealthy trust in possessions as a means of control. It says, I must provide for me because no, I can't trust anyone else, not even God, to provide for me. So I lay up for myself earthly treasures. 
So for Jesus, this is, this is about the heart. It's about our affections. It's about the order within. And he warns us that wealth and possessions can actually disorder us and it can trap us. How? At least two ways. One, by convincing us that uh, these material things, they can convince us they offer us security that they really don't. It's an illusion. Jesus says earthly wealth and possessions it can be destroyed, can be taken, just like that. Here today, gone tomorrow. And so putting our trust in money actually leads to deep insecurity. It actually leads us into the very thing we're trying to avoid. And then the second way is that it leads us away from God. It leads us away from God. Jesus says our hearts will follow our treasure. If our focus is on earthly treasure, our hearts will be bent towards earthly aims. We will walk in the flesh and not in the spirit, as Paul says. So this is why Jesus says in Matthew 19, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What what he's saying is it's not a, a condemnation of all people who have wealth. What he's pointing out is this dynamic, this trap, this dangerous reality of money and possessions. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Wealth, in other words, can become like one of those monkey traps you know, the, the one where that monkey puts his hand in the basket to grab the, the food or whatever it is, and he holds on to it, but it's just big enough to get his open hand in, but not his closed hand out. That's wealth, if we're not careful. Because what Jesus says is here that this actually can function in a way that to, to be free, we just let go, but we won't let go. We hold on. We lay up for ourselves earthly treasure, and it can inhibit us from being able to respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit from seeing the reality as it really is in Jesus. Another way to think about this, uh, some, of, some of you are um, uh, investors. Some of you, that's your profession. Some of you do that uh, personally as part of your personal finances and management. Think about it this way. When you invest money in a stock or a business, you tend to follow that stock or business, right? It matters to you. It's important to you. You care if it goes up or down. You, you, you care about the future of your investment <clears throat> and the success of that or that failure of that investment matters to you. Similarly, you don't really follow or care all that much the things that you're not invested in. The stock falls and you're not invested in it. Too bad for that guy. So there's a sense in which Jesus is saying, look, what you're investing in leads you to care. It leads your heart to follow after that treasure. Jesus says our hearts and the kingdom of God are like that. When we put our time and our effort and our money into things that God cares about, our hearts become more and more oriented towards him. And when we care about other things, earthly things, our heart cares less and less and less about God. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but your budget is a moral document. It's a spiritual document. It reveals the orientation of our hearts. It's not about how much money you have, how much income. It's not about how much you give. Ultimately, it's about what your money reveals about what you value. It's about what you're investing in, Jesus says. I have to admit, I felt very convicted around this this week. In particular, because I think too often I just don't think about it. I don't tend to obsess about money. I probably have the opposite problem. I don't think enough <laughs> about money. Um, but I, 
I don't think about it. In particular, I don't think about what my relationship with money and possessions reveals about my heart and my relationship to the Lord. That's what Jesus is asking us to do, to reflect on that, to consider, to ask God to help me think through how I use my money. To not just tie the 10%, give God his cut, and then move on. And I, I don't know, you, you probably don't think about it that way, but I just admit, like sometimes I function that way. And so what would it look like to have Jesus at the table for your next financial meeting? What would it look like to ask him to help you see how your spending is revealing your heart? To talk about that with your financial planner, to talk about that with your spouse, to have a group of friends that holds each other accountable. Man, when I was single, I just spent all the money I was making because I had no accountability. No one's helped me think through these things. So I just want to encourage you to, to ask God to help you match his priorities when it comes to your treasure. Jesus offers us a freedom and a security that possessions and wealth can never deliver which is why he wants our hearts to be oriented towards heavenly treasure. So that's the first teaching. Let's look at the second teaching. Look at verse 22. The eye, he says, is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Uh, so we tend to think of the eye uh, as an organ that takes light into the body, right? In and processes light. Uh, but for the ancients, uh, it, it, it did that. It, it was a window kind of inward, but it was also uh, that light emanated from the eye. So eyes cast light, or as Jesus points out, cast darkness. Um, so there's this idea that Jesus is tapping into. There's this metaphor that he's picking up on, that the eye was a lamp that would shine light out in to the world, to what we see. And so Jesus says our lamps, our eyes, they, they can be light or they can cast darkness. And he, he, he says they can be good or bad. They can be healthy or they can be unhealthy. Uh, and it's interesting. This is another, he's kind of mixing metaphors here because another metaphor in the ancient world was a healthy eye was a generous giving eye and an unhealthy eye was a stingy, selfish eye. And so he's, he's playing with words and playing with images here uh, so, that, so that we might understand that, that the way that we look at things, the way we see the world actually is deeply connected to our hearts. The way we see the world reveals the condition of our hearts. For example, if we see God's abundance and provision in our lives, it reveals something about our hearts. If we see a world of scarcity and lack, that too reveals something about our hearts. So the outward and the inward connection is what Jesus is making here. He wants us to understand there's a connection between how we orient our hearts and how we live and see our lives. When our hearts are governed by the light of Christ, we see opportunities to be grateful, opportunities to be generous, to love our neighbor. And when our, eyes, our hearts are governed by fear and pride and greed, we're plagued by insecurity and we see the world and others in it as a threat. We seek self over others, healthy and unhealthy eyes. So Jesus is offering here really through the eye a diagnostic of our heart. Greedy, selfish, fearful ways of seeing the world reveal something dark and dangerous is going on within us, and he wants us to know that and be self-conscious and self-aware of that. 
I love what one author called um, what Jesus is inviting us to have here. He calls them resurrection eyes. Jesus wants us to have resurrection eyes, eyes that can see the world in light of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and ascension. Eyes of hope and grace and joy, the kinds of people who see situations and people in light of their own experiences of God's lavish provision in their own lives. Again, not scarcity, but abundance. Resurrection eyes see the world not as a zero-sum game, but as an opportunity to share with others out of the bottomless riches of Christ. I found in my own life that when I feel anxious, when I feel overwhelmed, it's telling me uh, that I need a spiritual eye exam. Right? The way I'm seeing the world is telling me that I'm being uh, operating, mo- moving out of fear, or maybe doubt or shame. That that it's a way for me to kind of do a spiritual self check, right? That the way I'm seeing my circumstances, what's happening in my life, is really revealing a lot about what's going on in my own heart. And to pause and ask the Holy Spirit to help me surrender that to the Lord, to give over that fear. And so I, I want to ask you another question here. How do you see your life right now? What, what's grabbing the gaze of your spiritual eyes? What's your attention focused on? Are you focused on the things that you have been given or are you focused on the things that you're lacking? Are you focused only on self or are you focused on others? Do you see God's blessing and provision in your life? Do you see opportunities to bless others? What do you see when you look at your circumstances? So third and final teaching, Jesus says this, verse 24, look there. No one can serve two masters For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's interesting, the word that Jesus uses here uh, for money is actually mammon. It's a Semitic word for money and possessions, but it's freighted with a lot more meaning uh, in Jesus' context. And the way that Jesus uses it here gives us a clue to that. Jesus uses the word here as uh, as a stand-in for an idol, right? Because think about what he does. He compares mammon, money, to God through the language of devotion. Idols are those things that function like gods in our lives. That's what idols are. They offer us security, right? freedom, power, influence, status. Idols demand devotion, worship. For Jesus, money can be an idol. It can demand more and more devotion from us. It can draw us away from the people we love, away from our friends, away from our spouse, away from our children. It has that kind of power. I remember hearing one time um, Tim Keller uh, giving a sermon on money, and he, he talked about the fact that uh, modern-day New Yorkers would rightly be horrified at the ancient practice in the Middle East of child sacrifice. But he went on to say, uh, all too often... However, New Yorkers are willing to lay their children on the altar of their own ambition and success. And I've never forgotten that, because that's not just for New Yorkers. We're all tempted to lay things that really matter on the altar of our success and our ambition. Mammon demands sacrifice. Mammon is cunning it will slowly take up every part of your heart, every inch you can give. 
But the good news is, and it is good news, we worship a jealous God. (laughs) We worship a jealous God. He is not content with having some of you. He wants all of you. He wants all of your heart. He wants all that you can give. And there's no room for any other gods in the heart that is given to the one true God. We have to choose, is what Jesus is saying here. You can't have one and have the other. One of the ways that we can choose to be devoted to the Lord and not to the idol of money, I think, is by giving it away. By giving it away. We can ask God to help us willingly and joyfully walk in a spirit of generosity, radical generosity, because our worth, our security is not tied to what we have. We can give it away. We can give freely and joyfully. When we hold on to our money, by contrast, the grip of mammon takes hold of our hearts. But when we loosen our grip on our possessions, the grip of mammon is loosened in our hearts. The more we give, the more grateful we become, and the more grateful we become, the more we love to give, and it's an antidote to the hard hoarding hearts that mammon creates. And so giving, giving joyfully, giving thankfully. So as we close, I want to come back to our original question. What is your source of security? What is your source of security? Jesus offers us three teachings here on money and possessions because he loves us and he wants us to find security in him. I love the new song that we sang this morning that points us to Jesus as our true treasure, that he is the riches that we long for. Jesus uh, invites us to reorient our hearts to heavenly treasure, to see the world with healthy, generous eyes, and to avoid the idolatry of money. And the means for this heart change is not to try harder and do better. I just want to say that again. I hope you've heard this throughout the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is not an exhortation to try harder and do better. There's work. It's hard work. But that's not the ultimate answer. The means for change in our hearts is not within our control. It's not within our power. All that will do is make you feel guilty and ashamed because you will fail. If that's what we take away, we've misunderstood Jesus. This is not about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation, which is why I wanted us to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is what Paul says about the treasure that we have and how we should think about our lives in light of the treasure we have in Christ. We have this treasure, Christ himself, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God to change us, not to us. We are afflicted in every way. Life is hard. We feel crushed, perplexed. We are driven, but not to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying what? In us, the body of death of Jesus. He died for our sin. He took our place, and through faith, by grace, we are freed from that burden. He took that burden so that we could have life in him, life life of Jesus manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. This is a process, a process of transformation, dying again and again and again to the idols in our life and living again to Jesus. This is the invitation so that life in Christ might be manifest in our flesh. Death is at work, life is in us. Praise be to Jesus.
Jesus is our treasure. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus calling us to realize that the treasure we have in him, all other treasure by comparison, is worthless. Worthless. So that no matter what we gain or lose in this life, we can hold to that truth that in Christ, we are no longer slaves to disordered hearts, disordered desires, but through faith in Christ, we are freed by grace. Everything in the heavens and the earth is God's, and he's given it all to us in Christ. We who are in Christ are rich. We are rich indeed. Amen? Amen. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.